The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today, Akiko Bush, writes about design, culture, and nature, and is on the faculty of the School of Visual Arts in New York City. She's the author of several books, including Geography of Home, Nine Ways to Cross a River, and The Incidental Steward. Her newest book is How to Disappear. Notes on Invisibility in a Time of Transparency. A review of How to Disappear appears, get how clever that was, Uh, the the review on How to Disappear appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality Health Magazine. Akiko Bush, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you so much, Rabbi. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm glad. And you see how clever I am. Disappear, appears, you know, I'm, I'm just, I am just brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> though not very transparent, which is what you talk about and I want to get into. So I think the best way to start the conversation is just with some definitions. So the way you use the word uh, disappear and invisibility and transparency, which of course is the whole book, but <laughs> if you can define the three terms for us, that'll be a good place to start. Okay. Um, I wasn't talking about physically disappearing. I was just talking because we we live in an age of such high visibility. I was talking about finding a way to be less conspicuous, a way to be more discreet, more reticent, a little bit less present, a little bit less on the radar. Um, I feel that, um, let's, I, I feel that we, we live to see and to be seen. We know this being seen being recognized, being acknowledged. These are all vital to human experience. Social visibility is vital to our happiness and to to our sense of ourselves. Um, We need to see each other. This is the given. But I I think that even as I say this, um, it's also with the conviction that the imperative to go unseen can be just as critical. And living in an age of... um, of high social visibility by uh, transparency, by which I mean social media, surveillance cams, and, you know, on every car and every corner, um, uh, the fact that our user data is harvested by technology companies, all of these put us front and center. And we're visible, we're transparent, we're, we're losing um, traditional notions of 
privacy are being eroded. And so what I'm trying to do is just point out the value that being unseen um, is, is something that we should reevaluate, something to take to take another look at. Um, so I think that covered disappearing and... No, I think I think that covered all of them, actually. <laughs> I covered all of them. Yeah, did, that was a great job. I, I'm curious, I mean, you said that, you know, we want to, you're suggesting that we find a way to be less conspicuous, that we, in, in and in it's natural to us as a species that we live to be seen, but you're suggesting there's a limit that we can be seen too much, that we're being surveilled, you know, maybe 24-7 in a sense. You know, if you have a, oh, you know, the, 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 if you, if you have a smart home, I mean, your house is listening to you, your devices are listening to you, just in case you might call on them, but they're, they're not sanctioned, but they're not really uh, inert either. So what's the pushback? Um, I, I'm imagining this is true and, and see if, it, if it's right or not, but are people going, wait, 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 I don't want to be invisible. I need to be seen more. I'm not seen enough. I mean, is, are you getting that from from people who are who you talk to about this? No, I'm I'm not getting. No, I'm getting the idea that people are beginning to get beginning to find that being seen less is okay. I mean, when I started to, I'm I'm not on social media, or I'm barely on social media, and when I started to think about this a few years ago, I was noticing around me that that there was kind of a reevaluation going on. I mean, I. There was a. I passed within a few blocks in in downtown Manhattan a a restaurant called Incognito, a hair salon called Anonymity. Um, there was a great ad on the Super Bowl a few years ago where the actress Mindy Kaling kind of parodied. She did a riff on women of color and their invisibility, and she was walked down a supermarket aisle eating a tub of ice cream. No one paid the slightest bit of attention. She sunbathed nude in Central Park. Nobody gave her a second look. So, and I, I, there were, there were different sort of things like this going on where, where invisibility was kind of, you know, as Mindy Kaling thought in that ad, it was kind of liberating. It was something to sort of have a good time with. And so I began to think, oh, maybe this is something people are actually getting interested in. Maybe people are tired of being uh, kind of on view all the time. So, you know, then it took me a few years to kind of think about the book and research it and write it. But I think during that time, um, you know, I, be, I began to see that. I began to see that in, in the world around me. I mean, the Museum of Modern Art did an audio exhibition a couple of years ago called Dust Gathering. And it was, it was just all about the dust, you know, that you don't see that, that collects on the artwork instead of the artwork itself. So, you know, the idea that, that there's... Um, kind of a, an unseen world and that we can be a part of that, I think is an idea that people are kind of kind of getting ready to entertain. I think it's fascinating that that there are places using anonymity as a title. I mean that's I mean, that says something about the zeitgeist, you know, the the culture. If 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 that's a marketing if that's a successful marketing tool, anonymity or you know anonymous or something like that. I mean, that, that's, that says something that people are hungry for that. But I think, I guess what I was thinking of is where, um, like Ellison's book, The Invisible Man, or people uh, in, in certain minority communities are, are saying, no, we're invisible because there's, we don't meet the cisgendered white norm or something. Um, but that's, that's not, I realize that's not what you're talking about. 
No, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, and I'm certainly not denying the fact that social invisibility is a terrible uh, is a terrible social ill in our in our society and culture today. Um, I'm certainly not saying to people who who are traditionally unobserved, unnoticed, unseen, whether because of poverty or ethnicity or whatever it may happen to be. I'm certainly not saying, oh, it's great, just enjoy being invisible. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that um, we tend to see invisibility only as a negative. And what I'm trying to do is kind of, you know, just cast a little bit of light on its more positive side. And, And to say that when it's a matter of choice, when it's something we have some agency and when it's something we can choose to be in, in, in places and times in our lives when we don't want everything to be public, then it can be, um, it can be good for the soul. Right. And I think the book makes that clear. I've read some reviews where I think where people seem not to have understood that. I just wanted to get that on the table, that you're not talking about that kind of invisibility. But let me ask you this. Now, I was thinking a lot about this, you know, read the book, and it really, it's very thought-provoking. And, I, you know, I'm thinking about the me, in quotation marks maybe, that the me that is seen via social media isn't really me. It's a performance for my imagined audience, friends, either real friends or, you know, fake Facebook friends or something. So, so I'm wondering if you have a sense that, People are often trapped that, that the, the true me, and I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but help me out here, that the real me is sometimes invisible to me because I'm, I'm, I'm defining myself by this performance self that I put out on social media. Yeah, I, I think that can happen. I mean, I think when, um, when so much of your identity is shaped for the public realm, when when it's shaped for public viewing, it's easy to forget um, those kind of um, sort of truer elements to who you are. You know, it, it becomes a, something. It becomes kind of performative. Um, and I'm not saying. I mean, I think we all uh, we all do that. I mean, we all to some degree. You know, we have to present ourselves to the world, to people at work. I mean, we have to sort of have a public persona. But when your identity is really almost fully tied up in that, and you kind of, um, you've kind of distanced yourself from that real interiority, that real core of self-awareness, of knowing who you are, I think, I think you really lose something there. Um, but I, but let me just go back to what what we were talking about just a minute ago because I just want to I, I I do want to clarify one thing about um, you know my idea of disappearing which is that it's not about checking out it's not about disappearing isn't about um, you know disappearing into some fog of narcissism or abdicating social responsibility or just kind of disappearing into yourself um, where I'm coming from more has to do with um, you know, we're, we're living in this world where there are going to be nine billion of us soon. I mean, the earth is warming. We're, we're living in a place that's really changing. And my feeling is that it's going to do us all, all good to um, 
instead of putting quite so much focus on personal identity and kind of personal brand, um, it might do us all good to think of ourselves more as members of a broader human family, as members of a collective, as members of a larger group. Um, and if we just reposition our thinking a little bit towards that, um, yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm after. Yeah, I, I understand that. I, I think that the narcissism you mentioned a moment ago is... I see it as a as a part of the being seen culture that I want to be seen a certain way. I'm, I'm I am I create whether I like it or not. I guess I create a brand for myself by what I wear and how I show up and what I read and you know how, how I appear on social media. That I am a brand, which sounds horrible to me, and that creates this narcissism. But but then I, there's this feedback loop, uh, like uh, for example, the ads I get sent to me through Google or Amazon or whatever it is, they're all decided for me by my history of what I look at. So uh, oftentimes I go and look at weird things just to see what weird ads they'll send me. But <laughs> okay. um, what I'm fed is what I feed into it. So there's, there's this, this inescapable loop of narcissistic branding that I, I find very scary. And when I read the book, becoming invisible to, you know, to, to dropping that seemed like a, a tremendous burden being lifted from us. And again, like you said, not all the time, but taking a vacation from the brand itself to discover who you really are, rediscover who you really are, seems very important. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yeah, and I think um, I, I think you and I are likely of a certain age where, you know, we didn't grow up doing this, but, uh, you know, I think it's scarier for kids who are, you know, those real <clears throat> digital natives who really did grow up, um, did grow up from a young age with social media. And I think, you know, in, in those cases, um, you know, your sense of identity is really wrapped up on, on, you know, sort of how you present yourself publicly. And there's so little privacy left. So um, I, I think... You and I can maybe handle it, but you know I'm not so sure about the 14 year old. Right. Well, I, I don't know how old you are. I'm six. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, talk... this is radio, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't you don't believe me? Okay, fine. So, talk to me about uh, the uh, the anonymity proposal. 
Yeah, the anonymity proposal. I was reading a newspaper, you know, a few years ago, and I think it was in North Carolina. They, they, their legislature um, was considering something called the anonymity proposal, and it had to do with people who had won the lottery and, you know, allowing them the option to remain anonymous because, you know, so many people's lives, when they, you know, they win all this money and their lives are completely upended because you know, they become famous for that. And suddenly they're approached by people and, you know, all kinds of things happen. And I just, I just love that idea of the anonymity proposal. And I thought, well, that's kind of, um, you know, that's kind of relevant to a, a kind of larger theme or larger, larger issue. Um, and so I, I had a chapter called the anonymity proposal, just proposing that we, um, you know, we, we restore value to anonymity. I mean, again, anonymity too, I think has become a little bit of a kind of, um, you know, kind of a negative word. I mean, there's, you know, all that, you know, anonymous trolling that people do online and people can, you know, online chats can be, can be so, um, so disturbing and, and, and so harmful just because, you know, people's identities, identities are not revealed. And so we have this, we, we've kind of developed this very negative perception of anonymity. But again, going back to this idea that we're kind of part of this larger human collective, larger human family, you know, the idea that anonymity also can provide us a certain comfort, a certain kind of, um, I don't know, kind of the sense of tribal gathering or kind of being included in this larger group that sustains you and supports you. And let's, let's try to look at anonymity in terms of that kind of um, positive reinforcement rather than simply as a, um, you know, kind of negative thing that people do online. So I put this idea out to a couple of friends, knowing I was going to talk to you about this. Uh, anonymity in the sense of losing yourself in the larger tribe. And they immediately went to football, what, what we call in the United States soccer, in Europe. That I guess I guess in Great Britain specifically, one one person made some analogies that that you're in this soccer match or this football, you're in the stadium, and you lose your sense of self, and you're taken over by the mass, and then you end up doing things, negative things that you'd never do, if you maintained your sense of separate self. And again, that's not what you're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about, but it's interesting that you bring up sports because um, when I was working on that chapter, I talked to an architect, um, Michael Lockwood, who designs um, large civic spaces, large civic buildings, concert halls, civic centers, and sports stadiums. And one of the things he talked about really beautifully was about how when you go to a sports arena to watch a game, and I think he was talking about going to the ball, you know, going to a ball game, you, um, he said, you kind of, everyone's there for the same reason. Everyone's there to support the team. You're kind of putting your own identity on the, kind of on the, you know, the back shelf for a couple of hours, and you're all there with this kind of shared, shared goal, shared wish, and that's why people. Uh, you know, people in the ballpark, they, you know, they help each other. Oh, here, let me pass that to you. They, I mean, there's a sense of camaraderie. There's a sense of community. And, and he talks about designing space to kind of, you know, further generate that, to nurture that. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, sure. And sure. I mean, you can be at the stadium and terrible things can happen, but I think it's also a space that can be designed for this real, um, real sense of shared interest. So 
talk to me about, uh, because you, you write about design, culture, nature, but I want to talk about design. Not, not clothing design, but, but uh, like architecture, designing of space. How could, how could designer, how could architects design for invisibility? <laughs> That's a pretty big question. Let's see. Well, I think certainly in public spaces, you know, what I was just saying about Michael Lockwood designing to to foster community rather than um, to, uh, um, you know, kind of isolate people or alienate people. Um, I mean, that's the obvious one, public civic spaces. I'm not sure in contemporary offices quite how you would do that. Um, I would have to think about that. Well, what I have in mind, and, and sadly, I could not figure out uh, the name of the place. I've seen it on television, but I, I, it's at, it's at, because you're in New York. So it's the new, it's sort of a sculpture. It's at the center of um, One World Plaza, I guess. Um, it's like a vertical park. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, are you talking about the um, Heatherwick staircase? Yes, right. Right. So I, I watched a, a, you know, a segment of some little documentary on it. And I was thinking about that space as a place. Is there, I don't know if you've, have you seen it yet? I, I, it's, it's in Hudson Yards and it just opened a couple, I think a week ago. No, I, I mean, I've okay. seen photographs of it. But so, I right. And I've only, I've only seen film, uh, film footage of it, but it, I was wondering if there was a place in that space for anonymity, for invisibility to disappear. It seems so open, like there was no place you could, and I, again, I don't know if I saw enough of it, but it seems there was no place you could go where you could not be seen. And Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the intent in that was, in that piece. And as I say, I haven't been there, but I think it's kind of, um, a little bit more of a novelty, a little bit more of a kind of, you know, fun game that people who visit New York can do. I mean, I think um, if you're really designing uh, public space for people to disappear, you're going to design something much more comfortable, much more, uh, much more accommodating. There are going to be trees, there's going to be water, there are going to be comfortable places to sit. I mean, there are going to be places where people can just feel just um, absorbed and accommodated and comfortable and kind of, you know, forget about themselves. Um, I think the, I mean, I think public space has more to do, do with that. And the staircase, I can't remember the name of it, is, is more of a kind of, you know, more, more like a game or something, something mm. fun to do. It seemed, it seemed beautiful and stark, but not a place where I felt you could go to be uh, to become invisible, to to really put aside that public self and see what's left when you do put that public self aside. We're coming up at the end of the show, and I but I really want to ask you something else along the same lines, uh, because again, you talk about you write about nature, and I'm you know I do a lot of retreat work. I, I go away, and almost all the retreats are in some natural setting, and there's something about being in the woods and, and, or being in the mountains or being by the water or, you know, something like that, being in nature where it's, I mean, everything is nature, but you know, being in a, in a, in, in a natural environment that isn't controlled by 
the institution or, you know, isn't designed by an architect. Um, going into those settings, it seems to me, provides a place for a dropping of the performed self and a reconnecting with the authentic self. And I was curious if you felt, felt that people need to spend more time, you know, in nature. I, yes, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I absolutely believe that. Um, but one of the things I found, well, when I began this book, I always kind of thought I was going to end up talking about awe and wonder, because when you're in a state of awe, you know, outside, whether it's the night sky or the Grand Canyon or a grove of trees, um, that sense of awe really gives you a sense of smallness. Um, smallness in a good way, right? I mean, you, right. you kind of reevaluate your place in things. Um, and there's a, a social scientist out in, in Irvine named Paul Piff who has researched the psychology of awe. And what I discovered, and it's it's what I discovered that's so important is that it's not it's not just that you feel wonder and that you feel small, but that that smallness generates a sense of empathy. And all kinds of social research have been done where once you do feel that wonder, you also are able to connect more with the people around you. That sense of empathy and um, compassion for people around you grows when you're kind of in touch with that small self. And that small self, um, it's not you, you know, actually physically disappearing, obviously, but it's just your sense of identity and your sense of who you are just becomes a little bit smaller in the grand continuum of the universe. And when you feel that, you're, you're able to look more kindly upon your fellow human beings. And um, I thought that was really important. I think that's amazingly powerful. That I, I hadn't read that, and but I, I've experienced that. I think that's... That's very, very important to hear. I just want to end then in, in just by asking sort of a generic question. If, if you had advice to, to our listeners, what's one thing we could do to, you know, to practice this, uh, you know, the art of disappearing, what would you suggest? Oh, um, I, I, guess, I guess what I would say today is just unplug more, you know, mm -hmm a little less social media, a little less time spent online. But not less time on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today, Akiko Bush, is the author of How to Disappear, Notes on Invisibility in a Time of Transparency. You can find a review of How to Disappear in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about her work at her website, akikobush.com. Kiko, thank you so much for talking with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Well, you are welcome. Thank you. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is the bi-weekly podcast of Spirituality and Health magazine. Our producer is Ezra Baker, and our executive producer is Ben Nussbaum. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. 
Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.